This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 161. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 161. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Support for the Shameless Mom Academy comes from Kind, makers of healthy and delicious snack bars. To try 10 Kind bars for free, just pay shipping, go to kindsnacks.com slash shameless. That's kind, K-I-N-D, snacks.com slash shameless for full details. Hello, shameless moms. All right, let's just dive into it. I had a boob job, so... I actually haven't been calling it that. I technically had a breast reduction, but I thought I might pique your curiosity a little bit if I just came right out with it and told you I got a boob job because I mean, it was also that. So yeah, this is actually something I've wanted to do for a really long time, like as long as I can remember actually, for multiple reasons. Some of it is because I have never had a loving relationship with my breasts. I've always been annoyed with them. They've always been in the way. They've always felt a little unruly for my frame. And I always said, when I'm done having kids, I want them off. (laughs) And I was like, very literal. I was like, I would be happy to go to like an A cup. Like nothing would be fine with me, just completely flat. So That said, like when it came to time to do all this, that's not how it all turned out. And that's not what my final wishes were. But I've been pretty like set on this for a long time now. And I also didn't know a hope of mine was that like maybe I could get this covered by insurance because I definitely have some legitimate physical symptoms. 
from the size of my breast relative to my frame as well. So I was like, maybe this can be covered by insurance, which would definitely be a game changer. So how this came about is that when we found out after last year, again, after IVF failed, that we weren't going to have any more children, I was like, okay, you guys have heard me talk about, like, I went from planning for a potential second child to planning for how will I live a life I couldn't live if we had a second child, because those were the two camps I was going to exist in. I was very, very conscientious about that. So it was like, if we're not going to have a second child, I can have the breast reduction. We can book a trip to Europe, which by the way, we leave for Europe tomorrow. So all these things could happen. And that was a way for me to, that was kind of my coping mechanism. That was my way of like finding hope in a situation that felt definitely a little bit hopeless at the time. Not a little bit hopeless. It felt very hopeless at the time. So that said, the surgery was in the back of my mind. I did not start pursuing the surgery until a friend of mine was having the surgery. And she is an extremely conscientious, shameless mom. And so she was like, oh, I found the surgeon and I met with her and she's great. And I really love her approach. And so she had the surgery done and I got like all the intel from her basically. And I was like, cool. I know this woman does her research. I know that she would pick someone like top notch in the city. I appreciated that she was having it done at the University of Washington. So she was having it done through a medical facility versus like a plastic surgery clinic, which plastic surgery clinics are also medical facilities, but it wasn't like, and this is how I felt about doing infertility treatments as well. As much as I could, I tried to stay out of like the corporate game of infertility because I don't really believe in it. I think it's kind of crappy. And similarly with this, I was like, I don't want to get into like, the big business of plastic surgery. Like that's not what I'm in this for. I want to like treat this as a medical condition as much as possible, but I will admit there was a huge vanity component to it for me. And I'll explain a little bit more about that because this is in no way judging anyone who wants to go to a a plastic surgery clinic and have any procedure done. So I'm just letting you know that like I appreciated being able to go and do it in a hospital environment. And that just felt more in alignment with like how I wanted to treat different conditions and situations that I've had come up in the last few years. So when she told me that she was doing it at the University of Washington with a surgeon, I was like, oh, I'm going to look into that. And I made an appointment with a surgeon, really liked her, really liked her approach. She was just very like down to earth, not like into making me into a Barbie doll. Like she was just extremely grounded and I felt very comfortable with her. She talked about, you know, like I said, like, I just want them cut off all the way. And she's like, well, like, you know, might look kind of weird with your frame and like, you know, you're a curvier person. Like, you know, I'm not super skinny. It would look weird if I had no boobs compared to like how I look now. And she's like, for your frame, you definitely could lose some, but like, let's not take them all off. So she did a really nice job of kind of talking me through like what would be a good fit for me in terms of having the surgery done. And also like what's reasonable because She's like, we need to also look at what's reasonable in terms of what we can take out because there's definitely, there's some like boundaries with what they're able to take out in terms of being able to take out certain amounts of tissue and keep you like with a normal shape and those kinds of things. So when I went in for that first consultation, my big conversation I wanted to have with her was, can I have this done and have insurance cover it? Because I'm not paying out of pocket for this. Because when we went through infertility last year, that was all out of pocket. That was a major, major expense. Like I'm not going to come up and do this. This Like I'm not going to spend that amount of money another year in a row on something that would be, that I don't like, I would be able to survive without. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers. 
on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you wanna worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you gotta check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 50 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. So she said, okay, let's look at your measurements. My friend who had gone to her told me that actually qualifying for insurance coverage for breast reduction is not as hard as one would think because it actually comes down to like some fairly simple formulas and it definitely varies from one insurance company to another. And this is really a lot of why I wanted to do this episode. By the way, I should mention why I wanted to talk about this on the podcast. I wanted to do this episode because I know a lot of women have questions about this procedure. I know a lot of women desire this procedure and I know a lot of women like want clarification around like how easy is it and what's it like. So that's really what I want to kind of dig into today. So With the insurance piece, there was definitely a large component of it that was like, do you fit into this basic formula? So the doctor took some measurements, took some photos, and it was really like what she said for me. She's like, relative to your frame, she's like, you don't have exceptionally large breasts compared to like the average woman, but relative to your frame, they are definitely larger than might be comfortable for you or might be reasonable for your frame. And also given some of the physical symptoms that you're having, it's definitely worth like looking into if this could be covered by insurance. So she did a bunch of measurements. She took some photos. She asked questions. So they actually asked me a ton of questions about like, 
what kind of pain do you have? Where do you have it? How long have you had it? What treatment modalities have you tried? So for me, I was able to very specifically say, like, I have had low back pain ever since my son was born. My breasts have been bigger since then. I've had pain between my shoulder blades for probably 15 years. If I run more than 20 to 30 minutes, I get like a cramp in my shoulder blade. And after 30 to 40 minutes, I can't turn my head to the left anymore. I get shoulder cramping in the front of my right shoulder on a somewhat regular basis. And some of that's triggered by workouts. Some of it's triggered by just being like having my shoulders rolled forward at the computer, which is exacerbated by because I'm constantly we're in this computer position all the time. But if you also have larger breasts, you're also pulled forward in that direction. So if you have this constant pull, constant strain pulling you forward, it has a lot of impact on your lower back, but also upper back neck. And then it can trickled into like the front of your shoulders as well. So I also had a tension headache about a year ago that lasted for two weeks. I have like very, very tight neck muscles. Um, my suboccipital muscles, when I have massages, they're constantly, any massage therapist who works on me is like, do you get migraines? Like you have really, really tight upper neck muscles. And when they work on it, they're able to see like, oh, this is actually pulling between your shoulder blades. It's where this is tightness is originating. And that was the same thing with my tension headache. When I got treated for that, after I got the pain down for a while, because the headache was actually in the front of my forehead, but I was like, I feel like it's kind of coming from the base of my neck, but then coming to the front of my forehead. And then they were able to work down my back and see that like, actually, again, this is coming from the middle of your shoulder blades. So again, this like pulling forward my shoulder blades, my back muscles are not able to keep me pulled back as well because of this constant tension pulling me forward from having heavier breasts. So I was able to give a lot of information about that and track pain and treatments back for like the last 15 years or so. And I will say a lot of these aches and pains have been things that I've been really dismissive of over the years. So I've had treatment, but I've also been like, oh, I just need to stretch more and oh, I'm just running too much. You know, if I just roll foam roll before and after every workout and before I go to bed at night. So there was all these things that I just kind of kept attributing to like, I'm exercising too much. I'm doing too many push-ups, So my neck is hurting me or I'm running too much. So my hips are aching, which is making my low back tired. And I was attributing it to all these other things. And then when I started really thinking about, could this be from my posture? And I actually have really good posture, but could this be from my posture just related to the pull and the weight of my breasts over time? I was like, this could totally be exactly that. And when I went to the surgeon, she's like, yeah, for sure. Like all of this could definitely be that. So they were able to put all that in my chart. And so that was all submitted to the insurance company. She said for my frame, so my size at the time before the surgery, I was a 32G. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't know a G existed. Well, yes, it does. You can get quite far down the letters in the alphabet when you look at bra sizing. But 32 around your rib cage is actually pretty petite. So I'm not a petite person. I mean, like I got some hips for sure, but my rib cage is definitely on the smaller side. And so getting fitted for bras has always been a challenge because I need a really narrow rib cage measurement, but then a bigger cup. And that can look really weird if you don't have something that fits really well. And especially since having Vinny, it's like if I get something that fits me really well around the rib cage, oftentimes like my boobs are wider than my body because the cups will like make my boobs stick out to the side. It's super weird. And I'm like, I'm hoping no guys are listening to this because I feel like it just sounds funny. This just occurred to me. So like if you're a dude, just skip to the next episode. But for women, especially post baby, a lot of you can relate to this where you're like, what is going on up here? Like this looks weird. This doesn't fit the proportions of my body. I don't feel comfortable with this. Like, what is it? Also, my back is hurting. My hips are hurting. My neck is hurting, like all this stuff. So the doctor was like, I think we might have a good case for insurance coverage, but size-wise, you're actually going to be a little bit borderline because of the recommendation. She's like, what I think we can take out is not a huge amount of weight. And so she's like, you know, if we only can take out like a half a pound per side, that's actually as far as breast reduction goes, that's not a ton of weight. 
So we're just going to have to submit it to insurance and see what they say. So my insurance company is like a ridiculous S show and everything that they do is very cumbersome. So it was an ordeal. Like they immediately were like, yes, we will approve it as long as it's medically necessary. Well, then that whole like getting it to qualify as medically necessary was a bit of craziness, but we were able to get it to, my doctor was like really helpful in writing letters and making phone calls and making that all work out so that I would be able to qualify. And we wanted to be super specific that like, that this was a medical issue because what can happen otherwise is if they don't take out enough weight during the surgery, the surgeons have to like weigh out how much they take out and submit that to insurance. And if the insurance company doesn't think it's enough, then the insurance company can come back and say, actually, you just did a breast lift and we don't cover that because that's cosmetic. So it's a big deal that they are able to take out enough to make it a medically necessary procedure. And they have to take out enough that they think they're going to be able to relieve like aches and pains and things like that so that it's not just a breast lift. I will say getting a boob lift as like a side benefit of this amazing so I was kind of excited about that piece so I went into it I was going to make myself wait I wasn't going to record this until insurance had paid out on everything because I'm still like are they going to mess with me like it would not be at all outside of the realm of how my insurance company operates for them to like send me a letter now that the surgery's done even though everything's been submitted and approved it would not shock me at all for them to be like, oh, actually, we're not going to approve this for whatever reason, or we're not going to pay. Like, that's just totally could happen. So hopefully I'm not jinxing it, like knock on wood here. But it's looking like they should approve everything. And I have letters that say that they're going to. So like, I'm ready to take legal action if they don't. Okay, so the actual surgery, the way this works, some of you might not know this, it was Definitely the most invasive thing I've ever done. I haven't had other surgeries aside from like IVF egg retrieval and a little, I had a little cyst drained on my wrist like 15 years ago or something, which is like a tiny little procedure. And then I've had like surgery on my gums two different times to have skin grafting. So my like realm of surgery experiences is pretty limited relative to a lot of people. I've never had like a knee surgery or I've never had a C-section. Like those are like, you know, really big things. So I didn't know what this was going to be like or what my recovery would be like, except for what my friend had told me her experience had been, and then a little bit of research that I was doing online. And so I was very uncertain as to how that was going to look, but I was also still very certain I wanted to do it, regardless of how messy it was going to get and what the recovery was like. So the way that they do the surgery is they cut off your nipples and then they move them up a few inches and they sew them back on. And then they do an anchor cut from the bottom of the areola underneath the full breast. And then they cut from the middle of like your cleavage all the way under the breast up into your armpit. So that's why it's called an anchor cut. You have this like big half circle under your breast tissue. And then it tees from the middle of that incision up to the nipple. There's like a line that connects them. And then you have the incisions all the way around the nipple. I'm like drawing on myself as I'm telling you this right now, as if you can see me. Hey, mamas, just wanted to pop in and talk about our sponsor today, Kind Bars. Have you tried Kind Bars yet? I feel like I've been talking about them for a while. So you've tried them, right? Because they're really good. You've probably seen them in your grocery store, at a coffee shop near you, or maybe even your gym. But Kind Bars are delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients that you can actually recognize and pronounce, like everything on the label you can recognize and pronounce. So if you're ready to try some tasty and healthy snacks, Kind Bars totally wants to hook you up. Kind Bars does not believe you should have to choose between your health and taste when it comes to snacking. So that's why both award-winning chefs and nutritionists love and recommend Kind Bars. I have tried many of their different snack bars now at this point. I love lots of them. I'm particularly obsessed with the dark chocolate one 
And the caramel is so good. So the caramel is kind of like the dark chocolate ones where it's like a little bit of a solid base around the bottom of the bar. Super tasty. So if you want to get the hookup with Kind Bars, go to kindsnacks.com forward slash shameless. That's K-I-N-D snacks dot com slash shameless and kind bars will send 10 bars to your door for free all you pay for is shipping you will also be eligible to sign up for the kind snacks program where you can have bars delivered to your door regularly so i get bars delivered to my door regularly because i don't like to have to think about more things to get at the store it's just easy to have things ready to go And now Vinny just knows that like when he opens the snack drawer, there's going to be bars there for him to pick from and to choose from. And it keeps it super, super simple. So I highly encourage you to join the snack club, but also make sure you go over and get your 10 kind bars for free by going to kindsnacks.com slash shameless to get hooked up today. All right, back to the show. But anyways, if you want to know what it looks like, if this is something you're curious about, and I did this, like it wasn't horrifying. Google breast reduction surgery and you'll see all sorts of before and after pictures and you'll see what the incisions look like and you'll see the anchor cuts and kind of what you're in for. So I knew that's what I was in for. I was prepared for that. What I didn't know was like, what is that going to feel like afterwards? Because when someone says we're going to cut your nipple off, I mean, like immediately your nipples just hurt really bad, right? Like right now you're probably like kind of rounding your shoulders forward and like clenching a little bit because you're like, oh my God, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. So I will say the recovery was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I was on pain pills for 24 hours, a little bit less than 24 hours. I was told the doctor was like, you know, some people are on them for a week. Some people are only on them like one time in the hospital and then they immediately are able to switch to Tylenol and Advil, like alternating the two. I decided to do 24 hours of pain medication. I was afraid of the pain getting too much and then me not being able to get back ahead of it. So I did a full 24 hours or a little bit less and then switched over to alternating ibuprofen and Tylenol, like a week, I think. But I really didn't have an excessive amount of pain. I was extremely tired after the surgery, and that actually lasted for a couple weeks. So the first few days, I was like super, super tired. Part of that was from being on pain medication and having that run through my system. Part of it was from being under anesthesia and having that run through. Part of it was because of the anesthesia, they gave me this like motion sickness, little sticker behind my ear, which makes you really tired, like if you've ever taken Dramamine. So my first few days, I was like, super tired. I was on the couch watching Bravo like all day long. After that, probably I think by day five, I was feeling a lot better. I was still moving very slowly because you definitely have this sensation that like you don't want anything to touch your chest. And when you go up and down stairs, you don't want like any wiggling. So going up and down my stairs, I was like gingerly going up and down. And what's funny is my knees started killing me because I was so gingerly going up and down my stairs that I was like, doing weird things to my knees because especially as I would come down my basement stairs, which are a little steeper because my house is a hundred years old. So we have these very old stairs. I would be coming down my basement stairs and I'd be like, oh my gosh, my knees are killing me because I'm trying to like not have any impact as my foot hits each stair because I don't want any bouncing in my chest because, oh my gosh, you do not want to feel your stitches like pull on the tissue at all. So I felt much better within those first few days. Within 10 days, my family and I went on a lake trip. And this was an interesting experience because I felt going into it, I was like, I think I'm good. Like, I knew that there was limitations for sure. You aren't supposed to lift more than five pounds for the first month. So packing for the lake trip, I was very clear with my husband, like, I can't do any of the packing. I can like put my clothes in a bag, but I can't carry my bag downstairs, like all these things. I can't put anything in the car. And I often am the one who does a lot of the packing because my husband will be like working the day before or the morning of the trip or whatever. So I will just get the ball rolling, but I like couldn't do any of it. 
even from the minimal amount of stuff that I did to get us ready for that trip, I was wiped out for the first two days we were at the lake. Like literally the second night we were there, we were with another family and it was 7.30 and I was like, you guys, I think I need to take a nap or just go to bed. Like I literally can't even sit up and eat dinner right now. This episode is supported by a podcast I wanna share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, it's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So that took a lot out of me and definitely like made me realize like you just had a really major surgery and maybe you need to chill out a little bit. So I did slow it down again for about another week or so. And then after two weeks, I really was like feeling much better and really far more back to normal. I went in for a two week post-op and they said everything was healing well, which that was relief to see. I did not have drains. And so what I had, I was sent home with bandages that covered all the incisions. And after two days, you can take the bandages off, which I was terrified to do because I was like, oh my God, everything's going to like fall out, which it didn't. And then under the bandages were dissolvable stitches with steri strips on top of them. And they said, they're like, the steri strips will either start to come off on their own or the doctor will take them off at your two week post-op. And I was like, I do not want these to start coming off. Like I want everything sewn up and like as intact as possible till I get to that two week appointment, because I don't want to deal with like anything coming apart. And that can happen. You can have, especially there's a couple weaker points in the incisions where incisions are connecting with each other. And like in the T areas, the anchor cut, that can be really vulnerable and those can open up and they can be prone to infection or they're going to drain extra or you have to go back in and like have them like sewn up again. Like all sorts of things can go wrong. So I just did not want that to happen. I was very lucky. I didn't have, I hardly had any draining in my procedure. They did not put drains in and I had literally like one side had a tiny, like two drops of draining of like some 
yellowy juice like two days in a row and it was gone. Like that was it. And they had told me like what to watch out for and what was normal. And they were like, you might have like all these different things. It might be bloody. It might be clear liquid, but like if it's green or pussy, like come in. And I never had any of that. So I was really, really lucky. When I went in for that two-week check, they took off my strips, which was kind of disgusting because it pulled off like all these scabs with it. But when that was off, I was like, oh my gosh, my body is freaking amazing. Like things were so healed. And so I could see where all these incisions had been, but things were like amazingly healed already. A funny thing happened shortly after that. I had to try on a dress for this white party I was attending and I went and tried on the dress in our bathroom mirror and I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, like I am trying on a dress and my boobs are not a limiting factor in a dress for the first time in my life. And I put on the dress. I'm like, this looks amazing. And I was like, I don't even have to wear a bra with this because my boobs are like normal size and perky because I got a boob lift. <laughs> and so like, it was very exciting. I'm in the bathroom. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I'm super pumped up. I go out to our bedroom and I look in the full length mirror and I'm showing my husband. You can see through the white dress, the exact outlines of my stitches all around my nipples. So I was like, oh, okay. Apparently I am going to have to wear a bra with this because that might be kind of creepy if I show up at a party with stitches showing through my dress, stitches that wrap all the way around my nipple. Like that might be weird. But what's been interesting since then is like just the impact that I immediately had that I have not had any back pain. So this constant nagging back pain that I've had since Vinny was little that I've been very dismissive of and like, oh, my hips are just so tight and I just need to stretch more. That was gone within like the same day as my surgery, gone. And at first I was like, oh, maybe it's because I'm on pain meds like, and I'm on ibuprofen for like a week and whatever. But then I've been off of everything now for a month and no pain, like no pain in my low back. So that's been really cool. Upper back is much better. I still have some tightness up there. I think it's from years of tightness. I probably need to get a good deal of massage to like continue to work that out. But like I'm not having spasms in my shoulders like I was having. I don't I haven't had any tension headaches or any neck tension or anything like that. I'm back to doing finally. So I'm five weeks post-op now and I'm able to lift more than five pounds. So of course I was like, oh, sure. So like if I can lift more than five pounds, I can just go straight into like 20 pound dumbbell workouts, right? So I've only done that once, but I did start at four weeks post-op. I was able to start using weights again and I've worked myself quickly-ish up to 15, 20 pound dumbbells and not had anything bad happen. It's actually felt really good. And I also have noticed that like I don't have as much neck tension. Like when I'm doing push-ups, I haven't noticed neck tension. So that's been really nice. I've worked myself right back up to push-ups on my toes. So that's been cool. It's been really, really good. The like vanity side of it is looking in the mirror and liking your boobs for the first time in your life is really freaking cool. And I was a little hesitant about talking about the vanity side of this on the podcast because I'm so conscientious of idealizing certain body images and body types to other women, because what I think is beautiful might be different than what you think is beautiful. And what I want for my body might be different than what you want for your body. And that's all totally fine. And so like, I like having muscles. I like it when my quads are like bulging out. I know a lot of women don't like that. That's totally fine. So right now I'm loving that I have small-ish boobs for the first time in my life. They're not that small. They're still like a very full C maybe a D. I still have some swelling and I will have swelling for another month or two. So I don't know what my true size will be, but they feel very small to me and like very manageable because they're very perky. Like they just sit there. Like I don't have to do anything with them. I don't have to adjust them. It's not like a workout to get like a sports bra on and off. Like all these things that have always been cumbersome are no longer cumbersome. That's like very crazy to me. I bought a bathing suit, a tankini top at Target for the first time in my life. And I was like, who am I? I'm buying a bathing suit top at Target. 
I've never been able to do that in my entire life. I've never been able to go and be like, oh, I'll take the one that costs $19.99. Usually I'm like, oh, I'll get the one online that's made especially for people with small frames and big boobs that's like $80 and it's super ugly. Like that's literally like bathing suit shopping is horrendous because of these limitations. And so that was super exciting. And when I went to Target, I was like, I know my boobs at the time were swollen from the surgery. And I was like, I don't even care. I need a bathing suit top. It's the middle of summer. I need a top that's going to fit me. Even if I use it for like a month or two until the swelling goes down, that's fine. Because, oh my gosh, it's only $20. Like this is very novel. (laughs) So that's been really cool. So I'm feeling really good about it. And I will say I did a decent amount of research in advance of the surgery. And I literally, everything I heard was people saying that it was like one of the best things they ever did. And every story I read and every doctor I talked to... I actually talked to multiple doctors about it, different people I know in the medical field. And a lot of them were like, oh, I've known a lot of people who've done that. And they all say none of them have regrets. And it's funny as I've started mentioning to people that I had this surgery, people are like, oh yeah, I had that done a few years ago. Like it's been crazy how many people are like, oh yeah, I totally had my done like three years ago when I was done having kids. Like I've been blown away by, I'm like, does everyone just do this and no one told me? So it's been really interesting to like compare notes and hear other people's experiences. It's been really cool. Like so far, I'm really, really glad I did it. And I feel really good about it. Now that said, I've never done something that's felt like super, super vain before. And so I've had to do some thinking around that because I will be really honest. Like it's great that the back pain's not there. It's great that like my neck and my shoulders are feeling better. That's really awesome. And I'm so grateful that insurance is covering the surgery because of these chronic aches and pains that I was having that were requiring routine, regular, like medical intervention. But That was kind of secondary to me over the vanity piece of it, because the vanity piece, when you have been uncomfortable with your chest your entire life and annoyed by it, and like it's just felt like something in your body that doesn't connect right, to have that shift feels really, really good. And it's interesting. I've thought of other situations where people just feel like, you know, they're just not living in their own body. And maybe it's because they've been overweight and, you know, they've never been able to feel comfortable in their own skin. Or maybe they've been really skinny and wanting to be curvier. Or maybe they've been really skinny and gotten a boob implants because they just wanted to feel a little more feminine. Or maybe taking this to a much more extreme example and something that I want to treat very sensitively, but someone who maybe feels like someone in the transgender community who's like, you know, I was born with female anatomy, but I relate as a male. And I can get just a tiny glimpse. I don't want to at all compare my situation as being very similar to that at all. But I get this tiny glimpse into like, just feeling like, oh, like, finally, my body is mine. Like, finally, it feels like it matches me. Being as active as I've been my whole life, being a runner, like doing all the things that I do, teaching boot camp classes for years, and feeling, especially since having Vinny, like feeling like I'm like trying to not put on a porn show because I'm trying to manage my boobs while I'm teaching class, like those experiences are challenging. So to be able to work around that has been really, really cool. And to feel like there's something new and empowering and positive about my body in light of the surgery has been really, really cool. So I'm feeling really great about that. So I think the moral of all this, like the take home message for everyone is that I want to encourage you if there's something that you can do to feel more confident in your own skin, to feel more comfortable look into doing that. Do the research. Take the time to think it through and think about like, what would it mean to you? How would it impact your life? For me to be able to have more longevity with running, this is worth it to me. For me to be able to continue to be as active as I am without having pain, without having headaches, without having neck tension, like all these things, that makes it super worth it to me. It also is really awesome that part of that is that like when I put on my clothes, I feel like they fit better and they fit more like how I see my own body. Something that has been interesting to me over the years is having a sense of my body being really athletic and then seeing pictures of me and being like, 
oh my God, like I just look like my boobs are so big sometimes. <laughs> and I don't feel that way. Like it really felt like they didn't match my body. And it was shocking to me sometimes. I would see pictures and be like, wow, like what? Where did those come from? How are they even there? Because I was always just dismissive of them because I didn't like them and I got in my way. And so it's been interesting to process all of that. And I would just encourage you to spend some time thinking for sure and processing before you take any big steps, but also to feel empowered to do things that you think will improve your quality of life, even if there's a little bit of like a vanity component to it, like that is okay. So I'm going to leave you with that for today. If you have any questions specifically about the surgery and specifically about my experience, I would be more than happy to answer them. I really want to make sure that this is a conversation that people can have and open up, you know, the dialogue because I think that it's, you know, it's kind of like IVF. It's like no one talks about having a breast reduction. No, it's not. People don't have to talk about having boob jobs either. People just get them done and then like they don't own it. And I will say like, own your stuff, be comfortable. And I know like this is me as an extrovert sharing all my business, but if you do anything with your body, that's your choice. And I would encourage you to own it. And I would encourage you to really like be proud of what you do and why you do it and be okay with it. Like I will tell you, I reduce my boobs and I have eyelash extensions right now. Like I'm totally cool with that. It doesn't need to be a secret. And it kind of goes back to what I've talked about before with your stories. Like if you talk about your insecurities, like no one can tap into them because then they become your own thing. So that's what I have for you today. Like I said, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at info at shamelessmom.com. I'd be happy to connect with you and share more of my experience. And I just hope that this was a helpful episode to you. If you know anyone who is considering this surgery, please share this episode. You can share the episode by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 161. And I hope you have a fabulous day and make sure no matter what you do today, you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.